joke. Because in the notes, there's an excellent joke. Twitter has given the world the bird. Welcome to episode 179 the Rockstar CMO Epic Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 12th of August. I hope you are well, you've had a great week and you are staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar but with this podcast I want to share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from sysadmin to CMO with the help of some true rockstars, my guests and chums who I hope will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. You can find links to me, the guests and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com along with our street knowledge blog, newsletter and all of our previous episodes. This week, Jeff will be in the marketing studio and we chat about rebranding. No prizes for guessing what inspired that conversation and I'll wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert for a cocktail and he asks, is your marketing broken? But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Before I get to Jeff, here's a quick thought from my Tuesday Two Cents blog. There seems to be a lot of shade being thrown over the idea of a marketing funnel, that digital has changed consumer behaviour and that the funnel comes from our robot marketing automation overlords that have brainwashed us into a neat and tidy process that fits into their systems. But out there in the real world, it's anarchy as customers are no longer conforming to this consumer world order. Is the funnel really dead? I mean, it makes a great clickbait headline, doesn't it? It could be the shape that puts people off. As for most of us, it's not really a funnel. It's more like a really big bucket with a narrowing pipe poking out the bottom. In a typical funnel model of awareness, consideration, preference, purchase, loyalty and advocacy, that bucket is awareness. It's where all of our investment in brand building and content marketing is doing its work with the education around the problem you solve. I say it's bucket shaped as you probably have a huge number of people that could buy your product or influence a decision. But how many of them are in the market right now looking to buy? It's a tiny proportion, but you must keep that bucket stocked with investment in brand awareness. Many of us have a story that goes something like this. A business has a need, a CEO or executive decision maker recalls a brand, has a strong affinity for that brand and makes a decision and a purchase is made. I have one of those stories myself. A few years ago, I was advising a CEO of a small company. They needed a marketing automation solution. I gave them a range of choices fitting their needs. But he chose a better known but more expensive and complex option because of his emotional feelings for the brand and not based on his company's requirements or budget, seemingly skipping through the funnel, going direct from awareness to purchase. Personally, I think these stories don't argue against the funnel, but demonstrate how important it is to have as many people in the bucket at the top engage with the brand for the moment they are ready to buy. If they have a strong brand affinity, the funnel isn't something to push someone down, but a water slide. They slide down without any friction and the consideration and preference steps flash by in a blur. My argument is that the funnel was there and the CEO didn't skip those funnel stages. They happened very quickly. The CEO was an intelligent man. While he was in the awareness bucket, he clearly considered when he would have a business ready for marketing automation and through some research had considered a preference maybe a long time before he would appear in a sales funnel as he was not ready to buy. And let's face it, most B2B buying processes don't feature a benevolent executive like my example. A, de- a decision maker who reads your name in an in-flight magazine, okay, reads a cool post on LinkedIn and says, get me these guys. There are normally a bunch of people in that bucket we need to encourage down the water slide to our way of thinking. 
We need to keep as many potential buyers in the bucket as we can, ready to slide down that water slide when the time is right. And that's not something that will show up in our short-term tactical MQL, SQL and opportunity machine. <laughs> I'm not really sure where what these rants are going to go every week, but I seem to have wound up with the conclusion that the funnel is not dead. But with a strong brand, it's a big bucket with a water slide, at least in my mind. Right, enough of me. And you can find more of this sort of thing on my blog at iantruscott.com. I'll include a link in the show notes. Right, time for me to pop by the marketing studio and join Jeff Clark, our resident rockstar CMO, strategy advisor and former Forrester Research Director. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the studio. Hello, Jeff. You left a pregnant pause there and I was just <laughs> jumping straight into it before I realised that I wasn't going to say hello. So, so hello, Jeff. How, how is Jeff? I am fine. I'm not pregnant. Just <laughs> so everyone out there knows. Um, but yeah, doing well, you know, uh, for the most part, enjoying summer. So, uh, yeah. Mm, yes, it's uh, we're, we're just about because I work uh, mainly with a Dutch, a Dutch organization and everybody is on holiday. <laughs> so, yes. Well, I'm in America. Yeah, we take it. We much. take holidays at, at risk. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. And but um, the weather uh, here, as we need to do the weather, has been. We've had a lousy July. It's been raining, and August has not start, started any better. Oh my gosh! I, it how, seems it, there? it seems like you're either in a uh, heat wave and a drought, or you're <laughs> in fires, or you're you're in yeah. a rainy. So we have had a very it's, rainy season, which actually, I mean, there's been some nice yeah. weather in the midst of the the big downpours, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been a wet one here so, in the New England area. It's, it's, yeah, it's the position of the jet stream, isn't it, to get yes. all meteorological. Yes, but um, I'm off to Spain next week, so I shall be ah. below the jet stream in the heat. <laughs> Buen vieja, so, I think yeah. they say. Yes, exactly. All right. So, but let's get on with the uh, topic of today's conversation. So you and I were having a chat before the show or before, after the last show, or at some point in our lives <laughs> between then and now. Uh, and we were talking about, well, everybody's talking about the, um, the fuss about Twitter rebranding themselves as X. And don't worry, listener, that will be about the last mention I think we're going to give of this, because this isn't solely about that. But it gives us the opportunity to talk about the basics of rebranding, right? So we all have to face this sometimes as marketers about rebranding. Oh, I forgot. Yes, because in the notes is an excellent joke. Twitter has given the world the bird by rebranding <laughs> themselves as X. <laughs> So I'm not going to take the credit for that. Yeah. That's totally you, Jeff. Um, but and, and although Twitter is not really up there as, in terms of a brand like Apple, Nike and Coca-Cola, you could actually argue they've done a very, awesome job. Very good, yeah. Awesome job. Yeah, I was going to say the F word there. Uh, because, considering their revenue rate, because like, you know, t- to tweet is a, is a word. It's probably in the Oxford English Dictionary. They've done an amazing thing with changing the culture. Uh, through their brand and it's it's surprising that they want to rebrand themselves but like I said we're not going to dwell on that there is always a point in which a CMO or marketing leader needs to think about the corporate brand and whether they should change what say you Jeff well you know it um it's interesting because almost every CMO I have worked with has come into the job with the with the idea of rebranding on their head and and um it's like a given isn't it it is rebranding a new website that's right exactly (laughs) um and so let's be clear about what rebranding is because it's really about re-establishing you know the brand in the eyes of the consumers you know as you expand products or get into new markets and stuff like that it's about it's kind of like you know, what do you, you're assuming that you're beginning with something and the buyer, yeah. buying audience knows you. Uh, and I often yeah. say, you know, a brand is, it's like an equation. Brand is a name and a logo plus an attribute. So like Twitter, yeah. a little bird, and it's, you know, it's the public square. And so, yeah. you know, when you're getting into rebranding, then you got to think about, well, you know, what are you, uh, what are you trying to change? Yeah, yeah. And um because I think here we've got an extreme case, which is that the rebranding of Twitter involves a change of name as well. And I think we're going to talk about a couple of examples where people have changed their name as well. But often a rebrand is just that reset of the attributes part of it. Yeah. That we're talking about like the logo, the colors, but also 
what are our values? What, what are we going to state about ourselves and how does that change? And the nice thing is because you, you know how I, as the host of this podcast, love to have five effing steps <laughs> for everything you give me, is what are the five steps, Jeff, for, uh, that you would recommend for somebody who's looking at a rebrand? Yes, yes. And I, and, and I, I didn't necessarily whittle this down from six or, or, or you know, boost it up from four. So uh, five kind of yeah. seemed to work for me. So first, yeah. the first one is to know, as a, as a CMO or a marketer, is to know when to apply the brakes and understand mm-hmm. that there are, there are some really good reasons not to rebrand. So I'll simplify not mm-hmm. to rebrand. So um, oftentimes marketers, you know, it's, they want to change things because they're bored. You know, it's like, I don't know, mm-hmm. we've been dealing with these colors and these logos and can't we do something a little snazzier or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, pink is the in color with Barbie. So now let's go pink. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, another reason is the ego of either the CEO or the CMO, <laughs> which which may be an Elon Musk issue, Elon again. you know, yeah. uh, you know, in the long run, you know, he may be onto something. But, you know, mm. you know, short term, everyone assumes just because he likes X. Um, and you don't want to rebrand necessarily because you're covering up from a crisis. And the one thing that really popped into my mind is because a client I work with is very tied in to, uh, Kaseya, the cybersecurity, Mm -hmm. um, solutions company. And they had, you know, they had a big event back in the summer of 2021 that just like, you know, did a lot of damage to their managed service providers Mm -hmm. who are kind of like their key customers, but also the customers, Mm -hmm. customers. Um, and rather than do anything to change the brand, they just kind of double down mm-hmm. on how they work with clients and and uh, and obviously upgrading products, updating things, and and um, and I and it, I just I've observed the effort they've mm-hmm. made. Let's say we're still Kaseya and we still do what we do. We still bring the same value, mm-hmm. but we are making sure that you are successful as both our MSP customer and the customer's customer. I think that's interesting because the first two are fairly obvious, right? Which is, and it's almost smacks of the thing that you mentioned at the very beginning, which is new CMO comes in, well, item one, rebrand. Um, and and similarly with what you were saying there about the CEO, CMO ego, that they're just, you know, they want to do it. And it may not be the right in, in, in the long run. But this art covering up the crisis there, I'm trying to think of an example, and I should have done that ahead of the show, is there have been examples though, haven't there, where a brand has just pivoted and dropped their old brand because of something terrible that's happened and then reemerged yeah. Phoenix from the ashes. Right. Yeah. So it's not, it, it's that, that I think that'd be an interesting thing to sort of explore a bit more, but I, I agree with you that if that's the sole reason for doing your rebrand, then you should think it through a little bit. And there are great cases, as you say, where people have actually restored their brand from after something like that. Yes. So, they, yeah. We probably have a, an episode on brand restoration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's true. That's a that's an obscure topic, and and we need to take the listeners on that journey. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this first, so your first step is: should we be doing it? Yep. And know when to apply the brakes, right? Yep. So what's your second step? Second one is is uh, as I put it, research, research, research. It's like saying mm. you know, real estate's all about location, 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 and the yeah. and the place you really need to start. Because if you're trying to determine what it is you what elements of your brand do need to change. Um, then you need to do the research. So, you know, what do customers yeah. think of your existing brand? You know, is are your preference scores high? Are there positive associations mm-hmm. as opposed to negative? Um, you know, if you're going after potential new customers, you know, what do they think of your existing brand? Is, you yeah. know, sometimes being, you know, somebody who's known for one type of offering is going to have a hard time getting into a market, you know, with a new offering. So, yeah. you know, you've got to, you got to, um, you know, you got to be doing the research to understand the the impression that you have in the markets you're trying to get into or you're still existing in. And mm-hmm. and one note is, I think, is to have your, you know, your branding, your messaging guidelines handy. You know, it's like, could somebody dig those up so that we can look at them? Yeah, yeah. So as we do the research, we can we can kind of refer back and to say, oh, OK, yeah. You know, there are certain aspects yeah. about our mission, our vision, our value proposition. You know, are yeah. are the attributes we want to project that that are not working, um, and therefore yeah. now we can kind of hone into what we're what we want to change. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because, um, well, 
I mean, we give everything we talk about on this show. We talk about research and data and making sure you. So this stuff. I mean, the listeners, you're probably bored of the hearing this, <laughs> but um, that that. But that last one, I think, is interesting because it, it, it kind of it's sometimes it's indicative of a you've lost the, lost the way with your existing brand because you either didn't keep your branding and messaging guidelines either front of center in what you were doing so you've wandered off your existing brand anyway exactly the other one is that they didn't keep pace with what you want to do so it could be there could have been an evolution and it's funny because i was chatting to an advisory client today and it's like they were they were preparing a brief for for a, for, for a rebrand and i'm like did you take a look at the work we did around who you guys are, what brand architect you are and all this? Oh, yeah, we did all that, didn't we? Yes. You know, so there's often in the business a a piece of work that's happened or some corporate knowledge that you need to leverage in this. Don't yeah, you? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I was thinking about is, and I don't want to dwell on it because otherwise we're not going to get to all your five. But um, one of the things I'd like to interject in some of the things we're talking about here is about acquisitions, because that's very much part of my day job. So. I think what I've heard, and, I, and you and I have been through acquisitions together, and also I've been acquired and I've been an acquirer and I currently am an acquirer more often than not, <laughs> um, is, that, um, is that everybody thinks that their brand has brand value and equity, right? So when you go acquire a company, there's that sensitive conversation, and that comes through research, is understanding what is the value of the brand or the thing you've just acquired. So I think that's interesting. Yep, and we'll I, come back and to we'll that. Talk about, yeah, we will. All right. So that's your second one. So do your research. What's your third one? So who are we trying to impress? So your, mm. your research should, you know, help you determine, you know, can you confirm, you know, the importance of certain persona that you know, you've been focused mm-hmm. on the past. Are you identifying new persona? Um, so when you determine that those, you know, market segments and the personas that you need to convince of your brand value, then um, then the research should help you. Uh, you know, again, this is kind of like stepping forward and then stepping back. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's go back to the research and say, you know, who is it that we actually need to be making the impression of and changing their perception? And so that would help us understand again what do we need to actually what do we need to change so um you know it it's really that would be the driver of the rebranding process mm-hmm. we either have a i mean you mentioned new you have the new market so we're getting into a new market mm-hmm. or we have a new uh we've acquired somebody mm-hmm. that gets us into a market so so who in those markets who are the buyers and stuff and you know what do they think of yeah. of our current brand and and how do we change that and you know, one of the examples that that I thought of, which was a, a, a guest that you had, um, mm. oh, a, a little while ago, but a, a yeah, fellow yeah. from Episerver, which when they acquired the company Optimizely, they decided to yeah. adopt the Optimizely brand. Yeah. Now, those of us in who are familiar with web content management market would know Episerver, but a lot of people outside that would not necessarily. A lot of people in the states may not, United States may not know that. Op- yeah. And optimizing when you're thinking about when they were thinking, as I remember the discussion about the new markets they were going to go after, that's where they mm-hmm. said, you know what, optimizely, as we research and understand the brand attributes of that, that's actually a better name for us to have than our historic, exactly. even though we, the episode, were the acquirer. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, um, it was a couple of guests actually who mentioned that on the show. Um, Kirsten Allegri Williams, who was the CMO at the time, that was, and that was episode seventy-three. And that's re- that was a really interesting conversation because she she made a very bold call, which was that I mean, as you and I have been around this that CMS industry for so long, or particularly I have, and um, Episerver was synonymous. You know, yeah. everybody knew them, but like, as you say, as their market changed and who they were selling into, there was an opportunity there for them to to latch on to that. And also um Andrew Davis was on the show. He was also part of he was he was part of Optimizely and also part of that that thing. So that was episode 131 if people want to go back. I am impressed that. with your ability to remember the numbers of the episodes. Did that come right off the top Let- of your head? <laughs> Not so much. Luckily we do a bit of research on the show. But yeah, so um uh, so uh yes and I, I thought that was a bold move because they recognized that they were now selling into a new market and the existing brand didn't didn't work. So I think that's interesting. So, yes, so we, we went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. We're, so we're, we're on number three. Who are we trying to impress? What about your employees and community? Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, the thing is that you need to bring them along on the transition. Mm-hmm. So so they actually are one of the personas. I mean, they may not be the driving persona in determining what you need to change, but certainly yeah. 
um, they are important in in saying, you know, here's an employee as a persona, here's an employee as somebody who's in our community that may not be a buyer, maybe an influencer. Um, yeah. so, you know, what is it, the impression, what is the story we're going to tell them, uh, right. about this transition? All right. So, so we're, so that was our third step. So the first step was, uh, should we be doing this? Know when to apply the brakes. The second, do your research. The third one, understand who you're trying to impress. So this is really the kind of like the persona work. And if any of that has actually changed from your current brand, has anything in your market changed, right? Um, and all that kind of stuff. So what's your fourth, Jeff? Uh, is determine exactly what needs to change so um and i think you referred to this earlier sometimes it's a it's a visual update colors logo style things may seem dated uh which may if people think you're an old state organization that reinforces that so and that's where you see you know you know like organizations that have been around for you know a century or more like Mm -hmm. a general electric an ibm an sap you know you can you can kind of follow the 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 sort of the gradual evolution of uh, look and feel and you know evolution of their yeah. logo um yeah. but if you're on a new mission you know you're broadening you know episerver was certainly an example of this you know you're yeah. broadening your addressable market you're that's going to require a more significant overhaul and so that's you know yeah. where you you need to kind of go back and and relook at your mission statement your um your unique value proposition or propositions and help yeah. them build what that that new brand is, um, yeah. and and you know there's <clears throat> there's certainly there's some organizations that have done a successful job of going from because this is often what happens like if if you start as a very successful single product or single offering company, mm-hmm. in either through acquisition or just through your own uh, mm-hmm. you know internal development, you come up with a new new set of offerings, and so you may evolve the corporate brand. Uh, mm-hmm. And but but try to keep the, the sort of the initial successful brand names that you have keep those as you evolve the corporation. Mm-hmm. So that's like when Google went to Alphabet and Facebook went yeah. to Meta. They they obviously made those changes because there was a broader vision of what they were going to be selling into yeah. the future. But they didn't lose. I mean, this is the the thing with you could you could go back to Twitter and say it's like well yeah. you know if Twitter I mean you could create a new corporate name without changing. The fact yeah. that you've got Twitter, um, yeah, uh, and a lot of lot of observers have made that yeah. comparison as well. That Twitter could have remained as it was, although I mean, yeah, let's not get into a debate. Lots of people are debating the Twitter thing. I nearly went down that rabbit hole, but and I also think that, and that's also my um, experience as well. Because if you're an acquisitive company and you've you've made these acquisitions, a bit like we were talking about about Optimizely and EpiServer, and it fundamentally changes what you're offering in the market. You need to do some brand work, whether it's whether it's rebranding your current brand and name. So people then associate you with this broader offering set that you have because you've made the acquisition. Or is this the opportunity, as Optimizely and EpiServer did, of actually relaunching the entire thing? Yeah. So that, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's some, interesting. And sometimes the corporation can can sort of like take a backseat to be and, mm. and this is a. This is tougher in B two B, but obviously there's some companies yeah. that have done this where the, the organization takes a back seat because they are acquiring things mm. that they want to retain the brand of those yeah, acquired yeah. organizations and yeah, kind of yeah. let them function somewhat yeah. independent while while the uh, the corporation just becomes a holding company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've um, there's uh, recent evidence of that. Was it um, a Marigold? <laughs> So CM Group, who are, who are kind of like a um, house of brands around uh, email marketing and stuff like that, they were called CM Group, I believe, and they just rebranded themselves as Marigold. So they just did exactly that. I'm not sure what to make of that. <laughs> I think I don't. I like I'm Marigolds. Sure. You know, they're nice. Yes, they're pretty. But, um, but yes, but they decided they, they decided to make that change. So that's, there, there are lots of examples of, of people deciding to rebrand because of the change of what they do but i mean I, I don't know if anybody wants to have a look at marigold but i'm not sure what to make of that rebrand all right so that was our fourth and i've wandered off and i've started waffling what's our fifth jeff what needs to change when so right. determining the timeline for change and mm-hmm. you know rebranding is not a quick fix project and, and it yeah. largely because i mean your customers i mean obviously there's maybe some assumptions exceptions to this but your customers are not keeping on top of you know <laughs> 
the your organization and who you are, what you do, yeah. and you know they kind of yeah. you know often come in and out of certainly out of the buying process, and and so you know it this is where you need to be thinking this is going to be a long term project. How are we going to roll out those things? You know, how when are we going to change? I mean, if we're changing the company name, when do we change? Mm. You know, email addresses and and um, you know mm. domains and things like that. Because, as a matter of fact, I I lived through an acquisition where they they made a very quick uh, change to the email addresses that the sales representatives use, and so then the customer is going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Yeah, you know yeah, what what's yeah, this about? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. you know I, I you know yeah. I, I didn't realize yeah. that you know. I mean, just because they don't necessarily, they've got to be brought along on what's the story of the transition mm. and why are we doing this? And there should be a lot of mm. personal interaction, like certainly in B2B mm. marketing to exactly. and selling to, so people understand that. And, and you know, customers want to see continuity. So if mm. they're loyal customers to product X, you know, they're going to want to see continuity over a period of time before they realize that the, mm. you know, the changes in the acquisitions, if that's what the case is, you know, are, are mm. positive. Um, you know, and IBM did a great job of this in the nineties and, and the aughts, you know, they acquired o- a Lotus, they acquired Cognos, they acquired Red Hat. So everyone, one of those, you know, they had this like two year transition plan uh, and mm. they often kept, I think Cognos, they still kind of keep as a, as a, significant mm. brand that they you know publicize on their website so you know they you decide you know what this new what the hard brand becomes when is it a division when does it come into a product group when does yeah. it when does it actually disappear altogether um you know and i think it's it's just really important to take that long view uh and and not just make quick dirty decisions uh because that's just yeah. going to cause um you know discontinuity with your customer base and yeah. that you know, just, you know, it, it, it ruins the brand story you built before, before you've mm-hmm. established the new brand story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, um, the, you know, the customer thing is key. And I think that was really interesting what you said about the fact that customers aren't, I mean, this is the same with any of your customer marketing is you can't assume that anybody read any of your emails or have followed any changes to your website or anything. Right? They're not, they're not reading your trade press. <laughs> yeah, they're. Yeah, they're in it, they're going to see changes in the products and stuff like that, and maybe their bosses won't even see that. Yeah. So that's a really essential thing is to get them along the path. So that's our five effing steps that you suggested. So know when to apply the brakes, do your research, consider who you're trying to impress, do your persona work, what needs to change, create a plan, and what needs to change and when. That's a good start. Yeah, All right. So what song are we going to play out with? Well, I know we had we had a bit of a discussion about this because yeah. because I was uh, I had I had heard the song "Living on a Prayer" by Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. and I and so to be branding is often just that concept of living on a prayer because <laughs> yeah. 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 you're praying that it's ex- things are actually working, but the phrase "Hold yeah. on to what we got" just kind of spoke to me. Yes. Uh, but yeah. I also offered up to you, which I think you may pick me up on, as "Changes" by <laughs> Tupac Shakur. From 1988, yes. 98, sorry. Yes, I know. I was tempted by living on a prayer because I did. I do agree with you. That's a great anthem. Hold on to what you've got, um, and and the fact that our that our brands are living on a prayer. But I had to. Once you are suggesting Tupac Shakur, then I have to take that opportunity to share a bit of bit of Tupac um, for the line. It's time for us as people start making changes, which is way deep compared to where we started with Elon just deciding to call his company X. But, and that song is about a much deeper set of problems. Deeper set of problems than, than Elon has, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll play out with that. And um, there will be no studio next week because I'm on holiday. Yeah, so, so um, we'll, we'll shut it down and we'll dust out the cobwebs later. So yeah, all right, mate. I'll see you then. See you. That's just the way it is. Will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh yeah. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh yeah. We gotta make a change.
Thank you, Jeff. And that was a little bit of Tupac Shakur and Change from 1998. And if you're affected by any of the things we discuss on the show, get in touch with Jeff. He'll be happy to help. Right. It's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy Roberts, what are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Wow, it's uh, we have a we have quite the quite the scene in here. It's 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 right out of the 1950s, like a like a like a sock hop. It looks like you're doing here or something. This is this is really cool. I I see. It's like it's like you've walked into an episode of Happy Days or something here with, with uh, you know Elvis impersonators, and you've got. Uh, the whole leather and the pompadour hair and the fifties music—it's—it's—it's it's, it's really quite something. It, it's amazing how you change the scene of this bar like every two weeks. Absolutely, you've got to keep the times keep it fresh for the cool kids, right? And um, that's right. The, um, yeah, I'm. I, 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 you say happy days. I'm thinking Greece. Uh, Greece, yeah. The, I'm, yeah. It's, it's all in here, right? You know, you expect John Travolta to come in here and start singing a little bit. That would be. Uh, that would be so good. You just missed it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay, well, well, I'll um, I'll let these crazy kids do their do whopping or whatever they did back then, uh, and to die down a little bit, and uh, we'll enjoy a bit of that. The music that's right. on the jukebox. Yeah. Well, we've and... got a fun drink. We've got a fun drink oh, for good. the bar right. this week. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's basically when we look at it, it's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a, another summer sort of refreshing drink. Um, to sort of go with that hot uh, sort of idea that's not going on in London at the moment, um, <laughs> which is uh, we call it a sparkling Campari orange. Uh, very festive, very refreshing, mm-hmm. um, very easy to mix here, mm-hmm. um, and it's of course very bright orange as it works out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's lovely. So if it, now you have to like Campari, if 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 you don't like Campari, this is not going to work very well. But but because Campari is the main. Uh, uh, ingredient here. So basically, you take in a glass, fill it with ice, mm-hmm. put in really as much Campari as you like. You know, typically <laughs> one part. But you know, eh, you know if, if you're feeling like you want to day drink a little, you know, you go with a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add, of course, two parts of orange juice. You know, so freshly squeezed is good. I go without the pulp. Anytime mm-hmm. you can get orange juice without the pulp in a uh, in a cocktail is better, I think. Yeah. Um, and then a little sparkling water, not tonic this time, but sparkling water. And then you mix all that together and you have a very, very lovely summer drink to sit out by the pool. Nice. That sounds lovely. Well, I shall, as I do every week, attempt to make that very drink using only ingredients on my desktop bar. Um, I'm starting off well because you did mention plenty of ice. So I'm I'm good with the ice. Um, I then uh, fall away a little bit because then I obviously have only the most English of Camparis, which we both know is Hendrix Gin. Of course. And I shall sling some of that into that glass. That's a good shot. (laughs) And then um, you said sparkling water. uh, Yes, definitely you want sparkling water in this not tonic, but I I suspect you have one of those things and not the other. (laughs) <laughs> you're quite right my friend and as we both know the most um, English of oranges is of course the cucumber and the lovely people over at Fever Tree have stuck some cucumber in some tonic water for me to slosh into this very glass so let me give this a taste mm. I see what you mean how refreshing it is Robert it's delicious I'm not quite getting the orange um, colour but I'm definitely no, getting I, yeah, I, I suspect you're not Yeah, mm, I could drink one of these every week and um, where, what are we calling that again? Uh, we, were, we were basically calling that the Orange Campari. Uh, mm. And, and it's, it's, it's just a really lovely... I mean, it's, it's about as on the nose as you can get. It's Orange Campari, right? Basically. <laughs> I love it. All right, mate. So um, when we are drinking these very refreshing drinks, where are we going to be taking them to? Well, I think we should probably, again, head to somewhere cooler. Um, mm. You know, I was going to suggest somewhere north in in uh in in europe just to get out of the heat yes um but really just anywhere anywhere north (laughs) so perhaps we get up uh into you know like let's let's just let's lean into that and (laughs) i I have i on my bucket list Mm -hmm. i have uh 
this trip to Iceland uh, oh, and yes. sort of, I mean, I've got the trip planned. My wife and I have looked at it. We want to go there. We want to see all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it feels like we could get up to Iceland and it would be like maybe less Icelandy, right? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe kind of a little bit, uh, a little bit temperate um, uh-huh. as it were. The other place we could go, um, which I hear, uh, mm. we could go all the way down to Antarctica. Um, which yeah. th- this time of year, of course, is supposed to be winter-like, but apparently they're having quite the warm winter. So, yes. um, yeah, think- we could also go down there and sit on the beach in Antarctica and take these <laughs> orange fizzy drinks with us. I think we're only a few years away from being able to do that. I think it would be I like Malibu in Antarctica yeah. pretty soon. Um, but that's a bit of a depressing thought. But And so we would not be having those depressing thoughts. We would be admiring the penguins or whatever it is that they have. You're right. <laughs> We've talked about this before, how Benedict Cumberbatch pronounces penguins. <laughs> yeah, we have. Or the can't. penguins. <laughs> yeah, penguins. 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 Uh, and, well, we're admiring them. And thoughts turn to marketing. What are Indeed. we talking about this week? Well, we're going to talk about, you know, whether or not marketing is broken or not. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's it's a really fascinating thing that I have been mm-hmm. noticing of late. I was just at a client um, a week and a half ago when we were yeah. looking at their success, and it struck me that one of the things that we look at in marketing in terms of our success, even when we measure it, mm-hmm. are the quantitative measures of success. Um, but we don't often look at the quantitative measures of broken. Uh, here's what I mean by that. So... There's this old saying, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and of course, the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, it can be good or bad, right? It's not necessarily a good piece of advice or a bad piece of advice because, for example, you can fail to fix something that isn't uh, necessarily broken, but also isn't optimal, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of it's a subjective of whether it's actually broken or not. Content strategy or content operations is a perfect example of that, right? Because, you know, you've got some team that goes, hey, (laughs) we need a more strategic approach to content. It's broken. And the leader says something to the effect of, well, is that really a problem? I mean, are we creating content? And you go, well, yeah, we're creating content. Is it engaging an audience? Well, yeah, often it does. Great. So if we're creating content and we're engaging audiences, why do we need to upend the entire way we do content? Mm-hmm. Is right, you know, is yeah, yeah, are yeah. we is it really broken or are we just yeah. trying to fix something that is not quite working as optimally as we should? It's like, okay, that's a fair question, right? And it needs a lot of discussion about what optimized or what broken really means. The other side of that, however, is that re- and then this was the company that I had worked with that sort of was interesting here was you know B2B company they launched this amazing digital magazine trying to differentiate the brand their go to market strategy the whole thing you know classic content marketing uh, sort of example and they got a large audience you know they they optimized well for search they got a lot of visitors a few of those converted into subscribers and a few of those subscribers even converted into leads to other lead generation programs like you know events or webinars or whatever mm-hmm. and it was a small number of leads but the quality of those leads was really high and so the marketing leader at the company he didn't think that necessarily the digital magazine was broken but he looked at it and said yeah it's kind of broken i want to fix it i'm going to fix this thing that's not necessarily broken and so he directed the marketing team to gate all the content right to oh, just yeah. shut it off to everybody yeah requiring visitors to sign up for a subscription to even access anything the first time yeah. basically su- suggesting that more people would subscribe thus more people would convert mm-hmm. into leads and they would mm-hmm. increase their number and of course you can guess the what happened in that story. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the entire platform failed at that point. Mm. And so in either case, either thing might have happened. It might have been successful. You know, some businesses don't need to fundamentally overhaul their content strategy in order to create more consistent experiences. And sometimes gating content does actually produce better uh, or more uh, ROI or leads. So the key is how do you make that decision, right? How, how can you make the decision over whether something in marketing is broken? And, the, and of course, the answer to that is you have to define broken. Mm. So not only do we need to define success when we're doing marketing campaigns or yeah. projects or initiatives, 
um, and all those things, but we need to define broken. So here's an example, right? When we say, okay, let's talk about uh, a marketing team. And this was one of the things that I had noticed in the client that I visited, right? They met, they, you know, they were all succeed, you know, cheering and having pizza and having a nice thing because they met 95% of their lead goal. Yeah, yeah. Well, does that mean that they should change what they're doing? Probably not, but they didn't meet the goal. They, they were 5% short of the goal. And what, so the question isn't, is 5% too little or too close to the goal to want to fix it? The question is, what number would have triggered a broken discussion? Was it 90%? Was it 75%? Was it 50%? Where's the number that would have triggered somebody to say, this didn't work, right? And so the idea is, is as we start putting together OKRs or measurement programs, KPIs, whatever it is, you shouldn't just qualify the measure of success. You need to detail what a broken version of that is. What's the broken number if we calculate win as mm. X number of website visitors? Is it a 10% miss? Is it a 25% miss? When does a close miss become broken? Uh, we, and for example, we worked with another company just to sort of tie it up here. Um, we established a high and a low range for the monthly number of visitors and the growth of the audience over time. So we can monitor that, right? So we can say when results fall within these ranges, we may not have met the upper limits of the goal, but we actually got close enough to consider ourselves like we don't want to change anything. We don't want to mix anything up because mm. it's, you know, there's too many contextual things that could be going on, the news, the economy, all those kinds of things. We just need to keep pressing and tweaking and making changes to the thing. But if it starts to consistently fall below the low metric, well, we know that we're broken, right? We know it's not working mm. and we make a decision that now it needs to be fixed. So if we can start establishing those low end parts of our measurement, it also helps. I love it. And so, but when we're always, and I saw a LinkedIn post about this actually, is... Um, we're all and we're always focusing on the things that we can measure, particularly if you've got a CRO or a strong sales team, right? So is is it is it are we applying that to those kinds of metrics? So the number of the number of form fills, number of MQLs we could I'm obviously talking from a B2B perspective. And we're looking at what does success look like, but also really defining what failure is. Is that what you're saying? That's right. It's 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 defining, you know, and 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 this is hard, right? Yeah. It's a hard thing to do because what we have to do is decide where, you know, it, it, it is. The I use the word broken mm. uh, purposely here yeah. because you can also you you could theoretically swap out the word failure, right? Especially if it's a campaign or something temporary or if it's an effort, right? Mm -hmm. And and the equivalent is sort of like if I run the 100-yard dash and you know in x number of seconds and I come, you know, exceedingly close within 90% of the world record, mm -hmm. I'm amazingly fast. There's yes. you know, there's nothing yes. to fix there, right? Yes. You know, I'm going to beat most people that I compete against. Yes. But if I fall, if I if it takes me two and a half minutes to run a hundred yard dash, <laughs> I've pretty I pretty substantially failed, right? Yeah. Either I'm just not good at it, or I didn't do it correctly, or I tried to hop on one leg or whatever it was, right? I was somehow not even in the consideration set. Mm. The question in marketing is when you're doing a campaign and you're thinking to yourself, okay, what does, you know, paint my vision of success, great, that's X number of leads or X number of my CPM or, you know, whatever your metric is for success. Also defining what it is to say if this campaign was a failure. Mm -hmm. Now, that's easy enough, right? Because you can say, okay, great, if it doesn't meet X percentage of goal, then the campaign will be considered a failure. What's harder to do is in our more 24-7, 365, always-on experiences like blogs or websites or e-commerce channels or those kinds of things to, set, to make the decision of when to fix the thing, right? When, to, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. when do we need to fix the blog, change the editorial strategy, change the gating strategy, change the website design, change the email subscriber you know, uh, format, change, basically fix the thing. Mm. 
And you can't know when you're going to fix the thing until you know when the thing is broken or when you agree upon the thing mm. is broken. Because then it just becomes a subjective case, like yeah. what we were talking about with the the guy who switched up the uh, you know switched up the the whole blog to get. He's right, right. Mm. In the absence of a broken metric, there's no telling that marketing leader that he or she is wrong. Yeah, because yeah. in their mind, it's broken. It's not meeting the goal. Okay. But how close to the goal is it? And that's the part that most marketing well, teams don't define. Well, I, th- what I think fascinating here with this is, is it kind of shifts the focus a little bit towards the goal and not whether you're 95% towards the goal. So like for your for instance, like, um, you know, running the 100 yard dash, I mean, for you or me to do it, like that target time is going to be fairly <laughs> it's going to be quite an achievement right it's whatever just running that far would be great right right know. well yes indeed. Yeah. <laughs> but um where you were saying about um and i think this is where where we sometimes um fail a little bit isn't it is where you're saying okay so there was a marketing lead and he decided to switch all of his content to be gated in one me- metric probably his forms fills went up right but in another metric, engagement with the audience and probably some long-term damage to uh, that engagement and to the brand, it was a fail. So sometimes it's about the metric, isn't it? Is the is the issue is as well? Maybe the metric is broken or the goal indeed, is broken. Indeed, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, indeed. I mean, assigning the right, you know, that's a great mm. point. Which is, you know, and we've talked about that before yeah. uh, on this show, even yeah, where. Yeah getting to a shared sense of objectives, like the mm-hmm. success objective is, mm-hmm. is vitally important, right? Which is also something that is rarely done, yeah. right? Where we say, you know, we have a, you know, I mean, how many times have we heard that the marketing team basically prints out the Google Analytics mm-hmm. report and says, hey, everything's moving to the up and right. That's great, mm-hmm. you know? And, but is it? Is, mm-hmm. is, is, it, is it great? Is mm-hmm. that the shared objective is just to make sure that we have more visitors? Is that mm-hmm. the right metric to be looking at for success or would you rather have less visitors and more leads or would yeah. you rather have fewer leads but have them be higher quality or would you have you know all of those are yeah, yeah. should be in the consideration set for assessing the right uh key results really if we use the okr framework yeah. the key results in a shared objective yeah but yeah. then to then to compound that not just define what success looks like but also mm-hmm. to say okay what are the key results that objectively show that you know and and using the same you know so that we're Mm. comparing apples to apples here Mm -hmm. in the same breath what are the key results that would indicate that we didn't meet the objective right you know because so often it's a pass fail right it's a common challenge in in okrs that we see all the time is okay your key results that you know this is an objective thing right where let's just keep the math easy you know, our key results are we're going to, you know, our, 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 our objective is we're going to increase leads uh, using this content platform, uh, mm-hmm. you know, qualified marketing, qualified leads using this platform. Yeah. And the key result is 100 net new leads that come through this platform. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, objectively, it, the number is 100. If we hit 98, did we fail? Yeah. And should you then quit the program because we didn't hit the key result? Yeah. Or, and and the answer to this, no, of course not. 98 is yeah. close enough within 2% of our objective that you would say, yeah, you didn't meet the objective. So maybe you don't get your bonus or whatever. But but the whether or not the program needs to be fixed is probably the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. But then you start deprecating, right? You start going, okay, 97, 96. Yeah. Yeah, 95, yeah. 90, 80. Like where where is the line where you go, <laughs> you yeah. didn't meet this objective and it needs to be fixed? Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's a great thought. We, and it, it's funny, isn't it, looking at things from the opposite way around of, of is this marketing broken rather than it, is it fixed? And, and also, as you say, we're really good at finding figures that are moving in the right direction. Look, lots more web traffic, yeah, but it's garbage and it's from India and it isn't one of our core markets or whatever it is. So many experiences I've had of that in my career um, where you can find a great metric, but it's actually doesn't mean anything. I think that's a great thought. So on the topic of great content that is ungated, where might people find that, Robert? 
they're going to find it on our website, which would be mm-hmm. contentadvisory.net. And, and maybe, you know, mm-hmm. on uh, occasionally and pretty much nah, every week on <laughs> contentmarketinginstitute.com, which is where I also uh, yes. Of course, and I include a link to that in the show notes on a frequent basis too. Um, plus, aren't we due for some content in a more traditional form coming from you in a month or so? Oh, you're very kind. Yes, <laughs> the new book is coming out. Uh-huh. Uh, it, you know, when when this show airs, it will be about a month away yeah. um, from the new book. So I would encourage everybody. Uh, well, I wouldn't encourage. I would say if you're into it, if you want, <laughs> if you want to learn more about content marketing strategy or the, the 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 topic that I talk a lot about, which is operationalizing your entire content marketing strategy. The new book is called Content Marketing Strategy. Mm-hmm. And you can be pre-ordered on Amazon. Excellent. I'll include a link to that, mate. And will you be here in the bar with with maybe a cop a pre pre-ordered copy of that book under your arm next week? Well, I hope I I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. We'll see if the bar is still here after this, you know, nineteen fifties, <laughs> you know, ruckus here. Keep expecting James Dean to roll up on a motorcycle. And who was it in the? It'd be the Jets and the something else's, won't they? They'd be scrapping it in the car park, I should imagine. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, thank you very much. And um, I'll see you next week. Thank you. And when we recorded that, I forgot I was on holiday next week. So he'll be back in two weeks' time. So that's a wrap on episode 179 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insights. And you can find all of our links and the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter, and all of our previous episodes. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Please let us know what you think by the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your podcasting app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, after 179 consecutive Saturdays doing this, I'm taking a break for a holiday. I might drop something in the feed, but in the meantime, I hope you again join us here in a couple of weeks' time on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.